Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, welcome to Midweek. We are glad you guys are spending the evening with us. We are in our fifth week of our series that uh, is uh, going over prayer. Um, When I was thinking about doing this series, this verse that we're about to read was one of the first verse that popped into my mind. And uh, I I was actually going to go over this verse the very first week, but just felt that we needed to hit a few other things. And so, you know, we've talked about, you know, what's the, the point of prayer, the, the proper way to pray. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer. And now we're coming up to a verse in James chapter 5. Um, that is, it's a wonderful reminder about the power of prayer and how we must never underestimate that power. Um, this is a, a verse that's got a, a very... Um, uh, clear and, and practical use that a lot of us have seen and most of us are probably very familiar with. Um, but if we're not careful, we can kind of go over to to one side and miss this other side. Um, you know, we, we know that two things can be true at the same time. And a lot of times as we read this verse, um, we see it in the, the temporary and the physical, and we miss the spiritual side of things. And so the verse is found in James chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 15. And it says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I want to be very clear on something on the outset as we are beginning this. Um, Does God still heal people? Absolutely. Does God still do the miraculous? Uh, no, no doubts in my mind. I have seen people be healed, and this is this is firsthand experience. This isn't uh, you know second or third hand um, information. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have seen God do miraculous things, and God work through people in some crazy ways. Um, I've seen people do things with the only explanation being it's the power of God at work in them. That. Uh, to the to the natural eye would seem crazy, but we see the power of God working. And these are things that I've seen in my own life. And so you cannot convince me that God does not heal, that God does not work, that God does not still do the miraculous. So we've got this truth in one hand. And the other truth, I've seen people get sick. I've seen countless people lift them up in prayer, people that we would consider righteous people, people fervently praying. We have, you know, the key that a lot of us look to. We have two or more asking for this healing in Jesus' name, and then they're not healed. And so how do we reconcile a passage like this in James 5? How do we reconcile this truth with a passage in John 14 where Jesus says that we will do greater works than him? We, we've prayed for these people, we've believed for healing, and then nothing happens. Now, does this indicate a, a lack of faith on our end? Um, possibly, but, but possibly not. Does it indicate a lack of power on God's end? No, not at all. 
And so this passage in James is a a powerful reminder of the the effectiveness of prayer. But I want us to have a proper understanding of this passage so that we can kind of see what happens just beyond a physical healing. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to look at this section of prayers is we've been talking about prayer. Like I mentioned earlier, we've talked about the proper way to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I wanted us to look at this prayer because it seems that where we are in in Oklahoma, in this part of the country, that this idea um, that God will not let his children be sick or that sickness should not be a part of a Christian's life um, is, is a fairly common um, way of thinking. And if we're not careful, we miss the full picture of what this passage is trying to say. Um, And if we're going to understand any passage in the Bible, we have to look at it in context. See, the Bible is not a a random collection of sayings that can just be interpreted however we want. That we have to understand passages like this one and, and any passage in its proper context. And so what do we do? We look at the audience we look at the purpose of the book, we look at when it was written, and we take all of this into account, um, and then we look at the passages surrounding the one we are reading. And so this is what I want to do before we we dive into kind of the meaning of this passage in James. So let's like a, take a quick look at uh, the historical context of this, this book. Um, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, James. There's several James mentions in the New Testament, um, but this book is written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, tradition holds that it was written in the mid-40s, and James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. We see him mentioned a couple of times in the book of Acts as someone with authority, someone that is respected. We see him mentioned in Acts 12 and Acts 15. Paul mentions him uh, in Galatians 2.9, and he refers to him as a pillar of the church. And so James is a, is a pillar of the church. He is a leader of the church in Jerusalem, not because he is the half-brother of Jesus, but because he is a devoted follower to Christ. Early church tradition um, calls him James the Just or James the Righteous, that he is a man of righteousness. Um, an early church historian wrote that James had knees like that of a camel, which is a, a weird illustration, but meaning that his knees were, were callous and hardened because of his constant posture in prayer. And so when James writes things like the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, he knows what he's talking about. And so we see this is the James, this is the man who is writing this book. Now, what about the audience? What about the audience that James is writing to? We know a little bit about who is writing, but what about the people that he is writing to? Well, we get that look in James chapter 1, verse 1, where James tells us that he is writing to those 12 tribes that are dispersed. And we get their target audience right here, that, that James is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered, have been dispersed through the area. And so we need to know why they have been dispersed. They haven't gotten a job offer and have, have moved. Um, they're not just going somewhere for the winter to get out of you know colder climates. No, no, no. They are are moving for a reason. 
If you have a chronological Bible, you can read um, the book of Acts, and you know that it is a catalog of, of the early church, and it's, it's spreading, and the missionary journeys, and um, the persecution, and things like that. And that as the book of Acts is happening, you've got the book of Romans being written. You've got letters to the Corinthians being written. You also have James writing a letter in the middle of the book of Acts. And he is writing it to these people who have been dispersed, for a reason that we find in Acts chapter 8 is where this starts. It says, and Saul, this is, this is the same Saul this is, uh, that we know as Paul, who wrote uh, a good chunk of the New Testament. And Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So you've got these Jewish believers being persecuted by the Roman government and by Jewish, um, like the Jewish authorities. So they're being persecuted on all sides. We read in Acts chapter 12 that King Herod, this is Herod Agrippa, uh, had James, not the author of this book, but the brother of John, had him imprisoned and then executed right around the time that the book of James is being written. So things are not going smoothly for the Christian church at this time. Um, they're being persecuted, they're being scattered, and James says, hey, this is to the uh, 12 tribes who are dispersed, and his very next verse says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. These first century Jewish Christians were facing all kinds of persecution, hardships, trouble on all sides, and this is the audience that he is writing to. These people are suffering they are being beaten down spiritually and physically. Their faith is struggling, and they are living in difficult times. Oh, but I thought God came to give you a rich and satisfying life. You're going to live your best life now. You're going to live a victorious life, an exciting life. Yeah, tell that to these first century Jewish Christians who are facing this persecution, this hardship on a regular basis. This is the audience that James is writing to. This is the context that we read this letter because the Bible was not written to Michael Ballard in Oklahoma in 2023. It is written, specifically this book is written to this beaten down, persecuted group of believers. So it wasn't written to me, but I can still pull out truths about who God is and his character. And so if we're all on the same page with that, with this in mind, with this context in mind, let's jump back into James chapter 5, and then we're going to break down this passage in a few different sections. So James chapter 5, verses 13 and 15 says this, Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And it starts out with two questions. Any among you suffering? And is any among you cheerful? You have almost these two um, different, seemingly opposite groups of people. And each one of the groups of people has a responsibility in their respective state. Um, James is telling one group that if you are suffering, your calling is to go into prayer. That if you're suffering and if you want to find an antidote, a comfort to that suffering, your source and your strength is found in God. Paul tells us the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 
He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction. Peter tells us what to do in our stress and in our suffering, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then while Jonah is in the belly of a whale, do you think he is suffering? Do you think things are going great for Jonah? No, not really. What does he do? He goes to God in prayer. Jonah 2, 7, he says this, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That while we're suffering, while we're facing difficulties, while life is not going how we planned, we continually plead with God to be our source of comfort. And this is the basic spiritual truth. What about the one who's cheerful? Now, this could, this could be someone who, who things are going well and they're doing great. Um, it could be someone who is also being persecuted, but they are able to have joy and able to be cheerful in the midst of that. Uh, it says this, what about the one who is cheerful? The one who's in good spirits, they are to sing praises. Why? For the comfort and blessing they've been given. And we see that prayer and praise are not these things that are on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're very, very closely related. We read a verse like Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, that you are being thankful. There is thanksgiving in your prayer. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There is praise, there is gratitude in your prayer, that both praise and praise are essential for spiritual strength. Okay, that's pretty, um, I want to say straightforward, um, uncontroversial. So what about verse 14? And this is where, this is where we may miss um, one side of this coin that, that we're about to look at. Um, we get to verse 14. It says, Any, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, we are doing a Bible study, right? So that we are studying the Bible, which means we need to have a well-rounded perspective of the things that we're studying. And so we're looking at this verse, and, and on, on a surface-level reading, it makes sense that if someone is sick, we, we think of the word sick in probably like a physical sickness, right? Someone who is terminal, maybe they've been given six months to live, maybe they have a lingering issue, maybe they've been diagnosed with something, maybe it's just a, a 48-hour stomach bug, that we have this wide spectrum when it comes to sickness. And so we read this verse, is any among you sick? Do you fall in this physical sickness category? What do we do? We have the leaders of the church pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that's a pretty common reading, a pretty um, fairly, uh, uh, fairly well-known reading of this passage. And so what we want to do tonight is not throw this side out, not negate that truth, because I've seen this play out um, with me. I'm, I'm sure any one of you that are in here tonight, we could spend a lot of time talking about the, the healings and the miracles that you've seen. So we're not negating the power of God to do this. Um, please understand me. That is not what's going on. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at a different side of it, maybe a perspective that we have not seen before. Because when we hear the word sick, like I mentioned earlier, we think of this physical sickness, now, um, the word that James uses here in the Greek is a word um, that, that is, is translated in sick, and it's the word asteneho, asteneho. 
Now, this word is translated over 30 times in the New Testament. Um, it's used over 30 times in the New Testament. 18 of those times that is translated, it is translated as, as sick, physically sick. We see a lot of these um, in the Gospels where Jesus is, is healing those that are physically sick. Now, this same word, ostineho, is used 14 times to describe an emotional or spiritual weakness. Same word, same word, ostineho, physical sickness, and then a spiritual weakness. Just a few examples of how it is used in the sense of like a spiritual weakness that found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all these things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is, is more blessed to give than to receive. And we flip over to, to Romans chapter 4, verse 19. He did not weaken, he did not ostineho in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. We look at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. 2 Corinthians 12.10 For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we've got this same word that's used for physical sickness and the same word that's being used for spiritual weakness. Okay? So we see this. Now, another reason that I'm hitting on this is because I want us to note that the word sick in verse 14 is not the same word sick that we find in verse 15. You're like, well, I'm reading it and it says sick. Yes, I understand that. The English translation says sick. However, in the Greek, the word is komno. It's not ostineho. So verse 15, the Greek word for sick is komno. And it's just used three times in the New Testament. And each time, so we read it here in James, we read it in Hebrews 12, 3 and Revelation 2, that each time that word komno is used, it's used not to describe someone who is physically ill, but someone who is spiritually weary. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That, that word, komno, um, there is, is weary. Uh, Revelation 2, 3, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. You have not grown komno. You have not grown sick. So this is talking about spiritual weakness. And the reason I, I'm I'm setting this up is because we just talked about the context of this group. We've talked about the audience who are being beaten down day after day, right? Are there sick people that James is talking to? Probably so. But in the context of this passage, in context of chapter five, the verses leading up to these verses that we are just, that we just read are talking about being patient, enduring in suffering, remaining steadfast in your faith, that is an encouragement to endure and persevere. <clears throat> and so before we read this and immediately jump to an idea of physical sickness, we can't ignore the fact that this book and this chapter are, are written to people who are under a constant strain of persecution. This constant attack that these they're they're wanting these moments of relief. You know, they're wanting this this <gasps> this gasp of air, right? Where they are just being drowned and beaten and persecuted day after day after day, and those moments of relief are not coming. Can you guys? I know, I know, I can sympathize with that. Can you guys? Anyone in here? 
where, where it seems just like you can't catch a break, that you, you, you are getting beaten down. You may think you're doing good. You may think that your faith is strong, but then something happens. Maybe it takes you by surprise. It's the, it's the needle that breaks the camel's back and you cry out to God, God, where are you? Are, are you even listening to me? I can't do this anymore. And our faith is ostineho. Our faith is, is sick. It's weary. It's beaten down. Are we starting to see the context in which the audience, the, 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 the people that James is writing to, they may be in this situation? And maybe this one-way view that we've, that we've read this passage in has some deeper meaning than, than maybe we've seen before. Maybe this passage isn't just this one-way cut-and-dry thing that we've, that we've always been taught that there is something else at play. And I want to emphasize again, before we continue, before any of you think that I have some hidden agenda, that, I, that I'm um, ignoring the fact or, or overlooking the fact or trying to teach against the fact that God can do the miraculous, I want to emphasize something. I want to emphasize that I believe that God can and still does bring physical healing, right? I want to firmly establish that I believe God can do the miraculous, okay? I just want to make sure that this is, this is the case, that that if you come to me and you say, hey, Michael, I want you to pray for me to be healed. I am going to believe that God can. I'm going to ask and have faith that he will heal you, right? So just so you know, okay, just so you know, this is this is where we stand. This is where I stand. This is where we stand as a church, that God can heal the sick, that he can do the miraculous, okay? I just want to make, just want to make sure that we are all clear, okay? All right. So what I want to do with this verse um, in, in the few minutes that we have left is I want us to look at it from a different angle than we have previously. So we've already discussed the context, the verses leading up to this, persecuted, displaced people, persevere, hold strong. And so we, we see that, you know, we will anoint them with oil, the sick people, and they will be healed. And a lot of times when we talk about sickness, we talk about being saved, we talk about being healed. Um, we use uh, verses like Isaiah 53, uh, 53.5 or, or 1 Peter 2.24, which actually references this verse in Isaiah 53, where it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. How many of you guys have heard this when we talk about claiming healing for our lives? With his wounds, we are healed. Let me ask you a question. What was the purpose of the death of Christ? Was it, was it so that we wouldn't have the sniffles anymore? Was it so that, so that we could be healed of cancer? Is that why Christ died on the cross? No. Christ died on the cross, if you will. It was to bring a spiritual healing from this deadly disease of sin. And, and the, the healing that we are promised in Christ is the ultimate healing that we will get in heaven, where there's no more pain, no more suffering. Right, because if if by his wounds we are healed, then guess what? No believer should ever get sick. Be, but here's the thing that that we we often overlook is that healings took place throughout the Old Testament. That when Jesus died on the cross, it's not we like we unlocked some new achievement. Yes, we've unlocked physical healing for our bodies. No, no, no. Jesus died on the cross because our souls needed to be healed. That it was the spiritual sickness, the spiritual decay that needed to be healed. And so when we look at this passage in James, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to focus on the temporary and physical. And I get it. 
And I understand it. And that's okay because we want people to be healed. We don't want others to suffer. We don't want to suffer. We want to be healed. I get it. You know, and, and, and through all of that, you know, we want God to be glorified in those healings. We want, we want it to point to the, the power and, and the majesty of God in those healings. But if we focus on the temporary and physical, we can overlook the eternal and spiritual that is also at play in this verse. And I want us to understand, understand something. A very legitimate reading of this verse is that for those who are spiritually weak and beaten down, they're to call on, to come alongside those who are spiritually strong and victorious. Because those elders, those who are spiritually mature, have a responsibility in the body of Christ. Paul tells us one of those responsibilities in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. See this ministry of of intercession, this ministry of reconciliation or restoration. Sorry, um, is one that seems to be lacking in the church. Um, one of the reasons is that you know we have a, a culture, and it's not just at Foundations Church, but it's at a lot of churches where we will come in, we will check off the box. This is what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to come here. I'm supposed to worship. I'm supposed to sit and listen. And then I leave. And you've got spiritually mature believers, people who have been in the faith a long time, who know the word of God, who are solid in their faith, that may not be serving, that may not be part of a connect group, that may not be plugged into the body of Christ. And what happens is we come in and we leave and and we don't have the presence of the strong men and women in the faith coming alongside those who are weak and beaten down and discouraged. And oftentimes these people who are weak and beaten down and discouraged, they don't know what to do. And so there's a few things that happen. They ignore it. They pretend all is well. They put on this mask and they go to church or maybe they come to the pastor. They come to a church leader. And instead of us taking this responsibility, we abdicate our role and and we say, hey, I've got a counselor that you can go to. I've got a therapist that you can go to. Can I tell you that, that spiritual battles need to be fought in the spiritual realm? And those who are strong and steadfast and victorious in their faith, those who are spiritually mature, need to come alongside those who are spiritually weak and needing encouragement. And we can't push it off to someone else that God has given us a role to play in the body of Christ, and we need to play that role so the body is healthy. So what's the role, what's, or what's the deal with anointing someone with oil, right? What's, what's, what's that all about? So in, in this time... There were medicinal uses for oil, but what I think James is more likely getting at is this symbolic idea that these Jewish believers would be very familiar with. Um, We see anointing taking place in the Old Testament. We see David being anointed as king of Israel. Um, And this idea of something being anointed is this, this mark of it being consecrated, of it being dedicated, of it being set apart to be used by God. And so we see things in the Old Testament, like in Exodus 28, verse 41, And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them. And you shall anoint them with oil and ordain them and consecrate them. that They may serve me as priests. They're being set apart by, by, they're being marked with this anointing oil, being set apart, being consecrated, being marked as holy. Um, Even the furniture in the tabernacle is, is anointed and set apart as holy. We read this in Exodus chapter 40, 
verse 9 and 10. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. These things are anointed. They're set apart for God. And what is probably happening here, the idea behind anointing them with oil is that these weakened believers, these discouraged believers are anointed with oil as a reminder that even though they may be struggling, even though they may be persecuted, even though they may be beaten down, this anointing is a reminder that God has chosen them. God has adopted them. God has called them his own. And then if God has done that, God will comfort them, God will keep them, and God will restore them. This ministry of interceding and restoration is to be done in whose name? Not our name, because we have no power that we are praying on their behalf, that our strong faith is, is working on behalf of their weak faith, and it is the Lord who raises them up, that it is God who is working, that we are doing this on behalf of God, that, that we are the one who are serving as God's hands and feet for these weakened believers. And it says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and who will raise them up? The Lord will raise them up. This idea here is that these prayers of the elders, these prayers of the spiritually mature will deliver these beaten down, persecuted believers from their spiritual weakness. And just so we don't take any pride in what we can do, we remember that it's the Lord that raises them up. It's through the prayers of these righteous men and women that God will restore his battered soldiers' strength. And we talked last week about, you know, when we go through trials, that there is this temptation to sin. And, and what we see happen sometimes in spiritual weakness is sometimes spiritual weakness has 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 come from sin, of us Um, giving into sin. And as a result, we become spiritually weak. But sometimes in our spiritual weakness, we give into sin, right? We talked about in, in trials last week, how there is the call to trust in God, but a lot of times there is a temptation to turn away from God. And so as the elders, as the, these, uh, these people are coming together and praying for this weekend um, believer that there should be a confession of sin in this process, that there is a repentance of sin, um, that these elders have no ability to forgive sins, right? Only God does that. But what these elders can do is encourage this believer and remind them that their sins have been forgiven, um, and they bring encouragement in that way and build up their faith in that way, that God has forgiven them through the death of Christ on the cross. Now, This is a legitimate reading of this passage in James. Maybe you've never considered this view. Maybe you've never thought about this view when reading this five. Maybe you don't like this interpretation of this this passage, and that's fine. But, But what I would ask you to do is to strongly consider the things that we've talked about. Consider the context. Consider the audience that James is writing to. Consider the context of this passage and the and the scriptures leading up to this. That there is a, a high likelihood, a high probability that James is talking to these who have been spiritually beaten down and spiritually weakened. I would ask you to look at passages like Philippians chapter four verses six and seven. Right, we read uh, Philippians chapter six or, or verse verse six earlier, where we are not anxious for anything, but we go to God in prayer for everything. And the promise that comes with that is not um, an answer to our our anxieties, but there is a peace of God that passes 
all understanding, and it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul is has, has pleaded with God to take away this thorn in his flesh. And instead of God saying yes, God says, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so while we are not always promised immediate physical healing, what we are given in prayer are the means in which to persevere through those times, right? That we are given the peace that we need to guard our hearts and minds in those trials. We are given God's strength, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And as a body of believers, there are going to be times where certain parts of the body need special attention and special care and special support. I hurt my back a few weeks ago and, um, and, and getting out of bed in the morning is rough. I have to get out of bed slowly. I have to spend time stretching and, and pushing through that pain. Um, I, I have to, uh, um, ice it in the evenings. I have to, you know, rub like icy hot and biofreeze on it, That I'm giving my back special attention to, to, to restore it, to strengthen it, to rehabilitate it. And, and there are times in the body of Christ where believers will need special attention and special care, where we will have to come alongside them as the hands um, and feet of God and lift them up and carry them and support them in prayer and restore them back to the strength that they need so that they can be um, the effective, strong member of the body that they have been called to do. And two things can be true at the same time. That God can and still does have the power to heal, and he does so according to his good and perfect will. That is one truth that we hold in one hand, and we thank God for that truth. But there's another truth that we have to hold on to as well, that there are times when we have been defeated in battle, and we need to be strengthened by the power of God through our leader's prayers. And I want you to understand something. I don't want you to miss the significance of the latter. But I also, just for my own sanity, I don't want you to think that I am overlooking the authority and power of God to do the former as well. All right? We love you guys. Hey, let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening thanking you that we are surrounded by those who are strong in the faith when we are weak. God, that that you have given us all that we need through prayer. God, and I pray that your peace would surround us. God, that your grace is made perfect in our weakness. God, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Father, we thank you for those um, elders, those spiritually mature believers who can lift us up in our weakness. God, I pray that as we study your word, God, we get a well-rounded understanding view of who you are. God, we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.